Good evening. Thank you very much for coming. We'll continue this evening with our discussion of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sindarbha. We're on the 44th Anucheda, uh, most of which we've covered. Uh, we'll read the rest of the Anucheda, uh, dealing with the, the logic of the distinction between the Jiva and Paramatma. So Jiva continues, a question is raised. The following verse seems to completely refute any difference whatsoever between them. And Jiva Goswami quotes a verse from the 11th canto, 19th chapter. This would be in the section of the Uda, called the Uddhava Gita, wherein Lord Krishna is instructing Uddhava. Revealed sound, shruti, direct perception, pratyaksha, tradition, atithya, and inference, anumana, are the four means to valid knowledge. Recognizing that in all these pramans, the reality of transitory objects finds no support. A person becomes indifferent to all phenomenal objects, their existence being a matter of conceptual construction and hence doubt. Jiva Goswami explains as follows. The reply is as follows. In this verse, it is only phenomenal distinction, beta matra, that is denied. Because the word vikalpa, conceptual construction, qualifying the existence of such phenomenal distinction, implies a doubt about its validity. Thus the meaning of the verse is that upon abandoning all such doubt about the existence or non-existence of phenomena, one's conviction becomes firmly established in the one real existence alone, which is inclusive of all variety. Therefore, in the next verse, Bhagavan emphasizes the vision of the perishability of phenomena taking the abode of Brahma as the upper limit of such transitoriness, but not including the Vaikuntha worlds. Then he quotes from the 11th canto again, verse uh, 19th chapter, 18th verse, Since all actions are transient, a discriminating person should consider even the unseen celestial word, world up to including the realm of Brahma, to be miserable and perishable, just like the visible world. I think for explanation, we're just going to continue through the commentary and then explain that a little bit, because it's, it's fully explained in the commentary. Basically, what Jeeva is presenting is a verse that appears to lead us to believe in the what can be perceived, uh, revealed sound, direct perception, inference, um, and tradition are the four means of valid knowledge. Recognizing that in all these pramans, the reality of transitory objects finds no support. In other words, if we go to the ultimate limit and apply these ways of arriving at knowledge, and remember, in the very beginning of the Tattva Siddharva, in looking at different ways that knowledge could be acquired, Jiva basically he he takes he takes ten pramans, the ten types of acquiring knowledge, and he he reviews all of them and arrives at the conclusion that the only reliable source for knowledge is Sabda, Shastra. So here it seems Krishna would be, you know, he's he's saying, well, there's actually four. Krishna's taking four of, of those ten means as seeing, saying, well, these are recognized. Doesn't say they're absolute, but he says they're recognized ways of acquiring knowledge. So he he includes scripture there, Shruti revealed 
sound, direct perception, we can perceive something and arrive at some knowledgeable conclusion. Uh, it's hot, it's cold, it's daylight, it's nighttime. Uh, we can infer, we can infer, we, we've seen that if there's a fire, there's generally smoke associated with the fire. So if we look at a mountain and we see smoke coming up from the mountain, we can assume that there's a fire there. Uh, we can infer that there's a fire. And uh, tradition, we can sing on the rooftops about tradition. And, uh, you know, it's a valid way of knowledge. Uh, Krishna inquired about tradition. Um, when his father was about to offer sacrifice to Indra, he said, "Is this where did this come from? This idea of giving, is you a know, popular ceremony? Huh? Is it a popular ceremony? Yeah, is it a traditional thing? Is it a popular ceremony? Where what? What's making you worship this demigod? You know. And then he went on to argue with his father, really, and he, he introduced." You know, mimamsa, karma mimamsa. We don't need to, if we do the work, we're going to get the result. We don't have to ask anybody else for the result. You know, so if it's like I go to college and I put in the time and I pass all the tests, the professor's got to give me the, the grade that I deserve. Well, sometimes it might not work like that. <laughs> Reminds me, I was in high school, and I really didn't like English literature, and I had this real stick in the mud guy, and he basically thought I was a, you know, I couldn't accomplish anything, so he just gave me a D on everything. So then he, we came to the point in the literature. I mean, he was studying all these, you know, uh, Lady of the Lake and all this writing, and I'm like, I have no interest in that. But then he got to Poe. And Poe I had an interest in. So I studied that section. So I did it. And I I passed all the... I got A's on all the tests. So the end of the period came. And he gives me a B. A B plus, actually. And I said, wait. And I pulled out all the tests. And then I, I said, I've got an A on every single test. He says, yeah, but your overall attitude, I just don't like it. <laughs> so... We can put in the work, and we may not get the result sometimes, you know, because I, I was a D student, and then I went to an A student. Didn't matter to him. His overall viewpoint of me as a student was, I'm not, there's no way I'm going to give you an A for that one semester when you're, you haven't done any work in any of the other semesters. That's not karma mamamsa. That was not what Krishna, Krishna was speaking of. That is, the demigods do have a little power. And as we know from the Leela, Indra did, well, he, he actually brewed up the storm that's used at the end of the cosmic manifestation. And he, he, he and what was the name of the storm? Samvartika clouds. Samvartika clouds. These are the clouds that come in at the, at the end of a, of a universal manifestation and inundate the whole creation and basically put out the fire that has consumed everything. So he sent those specific clouds to Rajbhumi uh, to, to basically complain, I want my sacrifice. You've always given me this sacrifice, and now you're listening to this little boy, and he's telling you not to give me my sacrifice. Come on, uh, I want I want to receive it. It didn't go well for him. He had to actually rely on Mother Earth to to bail him out to some extent. And thus we have the nomenclature of Govinda. Krishna got the name Govinda that time so what's being said here is if we apply these kinds of knowledge uh, 
these four ways of acquiring knowledge, Krishna is telling Uddhava, will, a person will come to an indifference when it comes to the phenomenal world. He'll realize that there's nothing, there's nothing here that is of any value to me as spirit, as a spirit soul. Um, their existence being a matter of conceptual construction and hence doubt. So, in this verse, it is only phenomenal distinction that is denied. So, if we take these, even Shastra, and experience, and tradition, and logical conclusion, uh, if we take them to their, to their ultimate end, we'll see that the material phenomena is just, it's, it ends in Brahman. Brahman is the only true thing that, it's the only sustainable reality. It's the only concept that, that one could arrive at because everything else is temporary. So, Thus, the meaning of the verse is that upon abandoning all such doubt about the existence or non-existence of phenomena, one's conviction becomes firmly established in the real existence alone, which is inclusive of all variety, is what the commentator says. Well, no, what Jiva says. So we're re actually reading Jiva's Anucheta here. So therefore, in the next verse, Bhagavan emphasizes the vision of the perishability of phenomena. Everything in the material world is bound to perish, up to and including the Creator's planet, Brahma's planet, except for the spiritual realm, the transcendental realm. So, Krishna went on to tell Uddhava, since all actions are transient, they're temporary, a discriminating person should consider even the unseen celestial world, up to and including the realm of Brahma, to be miserable and perishable, just like the visible world. So Krishna's basically saying, whatever you can see and whatever you can't see, like the realm of the demigods, or even to be able to perceive the demigods influence on our realm. We don't really see them. We don't have the, the fine senses to perceive that actually they do have a hand in things. We don't, you know. The Truman Show. Something like that, yes. That's a good analogy. So, we don't see that there's somebody behind the curtain. But there is. So, but Krishna's saying, what you can see and even what you can't see, the forces in the world that are acting, even what you can't see, all the way up to the to the abode of Brahma, the creator, that uh, it's all miserable and perishable. But beyond that, there's a transcendental realm that isn't perishable. Let's read through the commentary. In Adarchetas 41 and 42, Sri Jiva Goswami substantiated his three rationales for scriptural statements describing the oneness of the Jiva and the Paramatma. So we have those three statements, all related to the matter of consciousness and energy, and the source of energy and the, the cause and the source, we, we being the, the cause and there being an energetic source. So therefore there's some some similarity between us and Paramatma, which he had listed in Anucheta 37. In Anucheta 43, he contrasted this view by providing an instance in the Bhagavatam where Bhagavan explicitly speaks of the distinction between himself and the Jiva. Now in this Anucheta, Sri Jiva explains the reason for describing this distinction. As given here, the primary reason for making this distinction 
is that the jiva is liable to be under the influence, liable to the influence of Bhagavan's maya. Krishna tells Uddhava that no one can become enlightened by his own endeavor. One needs the grace of an enlightened person. The reason for this, this is that the ignorance of the jiva is beginningless and hence causeless. It is not the outcome of some particular act on the part of the jiva or paramatma. If it were caused, one could get rid of it by removing the cause. If it was caused, if you could remove what created it, then you could get rid of it. But since there is no, this is not the case, one can get out of the clutches of Maya only by the self-disclosure of revealed truth transmitted through contact with an enlightened being. This transmission is made possible exclusively through the agency of surrender. It is the total dedication of thought, feeling, will, and attention which surrender to Bhagavan entails. That immediate intuition of the self can be brought to light. Therefore, in Bhagavad Gita 5.15 and 7.14, Krishna affirms that the deluded self can transcend maya only through surrender to him. This means that Isvara, namely Paramatma or Bhagavan, is distinct from the jiva. And as we went over in the last class, it's, it's an important point. Otherwise, then if we're the same, and, and now in these next few paragraphs this will be brought out, if we're the same, then there's no need for a teacher. What, 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 if, if in the ultimate end there's no distinction between ourselves and the Supreme, then... What can, we, what can we learn from just another manifestation of Brahman over and above what we could attain as far as knowledge just by removing the ignorance of our involvement with material nature. The two verses from the Bhagavad Gita uh, that we referred to by in the commentary, this divine energy mind consisting of the three modes of material nature is difficult to overcome, but those who have surrendered unto me can easily cross beyond it. Uh, that's the first from the fifth chapter of the Gita. The other is, when, however, one is enlightened with the knowledge by which nescience is destroyed, then his re knowledge reveals everything as the sun lights up everything in the daytime. And now we'll get into a final pounding of the post regarding this misconception of, of the Advaita Vod. Isvara is a real instructor, as in Bhagavad Gita, and is endowed with his own authentic sense of identity. He is not the product of anyone's imagination. Advaita Vedanta claims that Isvara is not real in the ontological sense, considering him to be but a conceptual construct of the jiva imagined under the influence of ignorance. Most modern philosophies also propound that God is an invention of the human brain. It is said in Panchadasi, that which is eternal, conscious and unlimited is Brahman, the only absolute reality, that very Brahman has two features called Ishvara and Jiva, which are imagined due to the two apatis of Maya. So what are those apatis? The apatis of Maya, whereby we have this conception of God. Basically, this is just out and out. Brahmavad, Advaitavad, that there is no distinction. And this doctrine, in this doctrine, the only difference between the Jiva and Asfara is that of their respective Upadis. This is Advaitavad we're speaking of. 
Isvara has the upadi of pure sattva and the jiva of impure sattva. In essence, both are Brahman, but out of ignorance, the jiva imagines a separate Ishvara. When the jiva becomes realized, he transcends the conception of God. This is their, this is how they think. That, that really, everything that we're experiencing is simply a mental construct created by our ignorance of what we really are and what we really are is we're all Brahman. So if in that mental construct we conceive of a God, then that's simply an upadi. An upadi means what? It's an imposition. It's an imposition on our mind and when we conceive of a god, he's perfect. So he's sattva. He's, he's pure goodness. And if you're not conceiving of yourself, if your self-image is not one that's pure sattva, if you are influenced by the modes of material nature to a greater degree than the influence of pureness, or goodness, sattvagun, then you're going to have a sense of I, which is a jiva. But ultimately, relieve the false sense of I that you have, whereby you relate with this creation as your reality, and come to the revelation and the realization that truly, ultimately, you're only spirit, you're only Brahman, then these two apatis will be both, they'll be gone. These conceptions, this false conception of what God is and this conception that, that you are a jiva. Ultimately, you're Brahman. So they see no distinction whatsoever in spirituality. And the there are transcendentalists that think like that as evidenced by the famous verse, which is the core verse for our understanding of these first Sandarbhas of Jiva Goswami. Vedanti tat tatva vidas tatvam yajnam advayam. That non-dual reality. Now we accept it's non-dual, but it, in that conception of non-dual and dualness, people have different visions. Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavan Iti Subjate. So this Brahman conception is there in the Shastra, and generally speaking, it can be understood properly, those we call Brahmavadis, like a Sukadev Goswami, like the Kumaras, or it can be conceived improperly by a misunderstanding of the statements of a likeness that aren't contained in the, in the scripture. And the, the primary prom, promoter of these self-conceived, meaning he personally conceived these various misconceptions because, about these statements of scripture is Sankaracharya. So, and that in this presentation is referred to as radical non-dualism. It's just, it doesn't, a logical person would not come to the conclusion that he has, nor accept those conclusions as authoritative. A lot of what is presented, and specifically the way Jiva Goswami presented the Sandarbhas was one of his goals, besides nourishing the bhakti of, of those that have the conception of Bhagavan or even Paramatma, is also to defeat the misconceptions regarding Brahman realization that were propounded by the Sankar, followers of Sankaracharya during his day. So we notice that throughout these 
begetting four Sandarbhas, which are the Sambandha Gyan, uh, this continual going back to this to pounding the post on the fact that these misconceptions will not are are not acceptable to the bhakta to the bhakta. Sri Jiva Goswami challenges that if this were true, then how could Ishwara impart any instruction to the Jiva in texts such as Bhagavad Gita? Sometimes a person looking from afar may mistake a tree trunk for a man in semi-darkness. But just as this imagined man is devoid of factual humanness, so too an imagined Ishwara would be altogether devoid of the capacity to impart knowledge, jnana to anyone. But Ishvara does indeed transmit knowledge for the jiva's enlightenment, and therefore the difference between the jiva and Ishvara is real. Moreover, why would Ishvara even bother to instruct the jiva if there were no ultimate difference between them? It goes on. In the second part of this Anucheta, Sri Jiva explains that the different scholars propound, expound different philosophies under the influence of Bhagavan's Maya. The fact remains, however, that the Jivas are not identical, identical to Aswara or Brahman. As, is, as a possible objection to this, he cites Bhagavatam 11.19.17, spoken by Krishna, therefore means of valid knowledge, by any of these methods, one can come to the conclusion that Brahman is the only reality. Let us consider each of these. So now the commentator is going to break down these four methods of acquiring knowledge and show uh, how they be, they're being used by Jiva Goswami. Let us consider each of these in turn, beginning with revealed sound Shruti. In the Upanishads, it is said this entire phenomenal world is indeed Brahman. Uh, and in this visible world, there's no variety whatsoever. Ultimately, what you're perceiving of variety is just a mental construct. Uh, but what's being referred, what's really being said in the Upanishad is something entirely different. From these statements, it is clear that Shruti supports the view that Brahman is the only reality. We accept that. Brahman's the only reality. But we also accept that Brahman manifests differently. Ultimately, the supreme Brahman is personal. But he also can manifest his spiritual potency without any spiritual variegatedness, without displaying other potencies that he has. From these statements, it is clear that Shruti supports the view that Brahman is the only reality. In regards to perception, pratyaksha, we directly apprehend, for example, that golden ornaments are nothing but gold. Its, name, its names and forms, such as gold necklace or gold earrings, are temporary appearances of the enduring substance. Thus, it is concluded that the world is, world is nothing other than Brahman, and all names and forms are only temporary appearances. Now he goes on to the other two methods of knowledge that Krishna spoke of. From the point of view of tradition, Atita, Atitya, it is widely knows that, known that great Acharyas like Sri Sankara have subscribed to the view that all is Brahman. Similarly, the same conclusion can also be reached through the following inference, Anuman, the universe is unreal, Mithya, because it is visible. In other words, the real reality, you can't see the reality. What you're perceiving, of course, is, is created from sense perception, and that's not the ultimate. So anything you can see here isn't, isn't the reality of existence. It's simply an illusion. It's Maya. Anything that is visible is unreal. 
like the misconception or misperception of a rope as a snake. Since the universe is visible, it too is ultimately unreal. This line of argument is an instance of positive inference. The same point can be argued from the perspective of negative inference. Because the world is visible, it cannot be real. In light of these four pramans, Krishna's statement seems to support the conclusion of Advaita Vad. The word vikalpa in this verse is a reference to phenomenal objects whose existence is a matter of doubt or conceptual construction. It seems that when a person becomes free of all doubts through means of these pramans, he becomes indifferent to all duality. This may be taken to mean that the only reality is Brahman and that duality is merely imaginary. So you can use all four of these ways of acquiring knowledge and come to an understanding that ultimately reality is an illusion and the true reality is Brahman and Brahman only. Sri Jiva, now he goes on to say, well, but Sri Jiva concludes, however, that such is not the case. The pluralistic world of phenomenal variety is denied as real only from the point of view that it is perishable. Consequently, the verse should not be taken as a disavowal of the imperishability, transphenomenal variety that exists in the spiritual domain. Nor does it negate the distinction between the jiva and paramatma. This is evident from the consequence from the subsequent verse, also spoken by Krishna. In that verse, it is clearly stated that all regions of the universe, up to and including the abode of Brahma, are perishable. This implies two things: first, the universe is temporary yet not unreal and wrongly concluded, as wrongly concluded by Advaita Vadis. Second, the regions beyond Brahmaloka, Vaikuntha, are permanent and then thus not subject to passing away. So Jiva uses the same verses to say, well, no, this doesn't, this shouldn't be taken that way. Ultimately, it only shows that the material phenomenal world is temporary. It has nothing to do with establishing the fact that the only ultimate spiritual reality is only Brahman. Shijiva explains that the word vikalpa means doubt. Thus, the meaning of the verse is that although the insight gained from the four stated Brahmans, one is freed from doubt about the nature of reality. That this interpretation is valid is supported by Krishna's recommendation recommending the path of bhakti in the verses beginning with the, the second verse from the Bhagavatam that was cited. In other words, it's all temporary up to including Brahma's avode, but beyond that there is a transcendental realm. Even if it's, it is admitted that the previous two verses delineate the path of Gyan, Bhakti is to be understood as superior and as the recommended path because the hermeneutic principle of scriptural interpretation establishes the item appearing last in a sequence is the greatest significance. <laughs> so, in other words... Jiva just establishes his point. Yes, there are places in the scripture where it seems like it's all one and that ultimately Brahman is the highest conception. But here's another way to look at it. When Krishna concludes that there is, a, there is the necessity, and that's really what the point of this Anacheda is, in order to fully understand this knowledge, you need outside help. You can use the scriptures, you can use your senses, 
You can use logic and reason. You can use traditional understandings. But when it comes to spiritual revelation, the only facility, the only the only thing that's available to you which is truly reliable has to come from tra the transcendental realm. It's basically what the conclusion and what the main point of this Anucheta is. Um, no matter how you look at it, and even if you look at it from the way that Krishna presents it in the Uddhava Gita portion of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Ultimately, he speaks to Uddhava about the significance of bhakti. The, the commentary concludes, the explanation of Jamatri Muni verses describes the characteristics of the jiva, describing the characteristics of the jiva are now complete. In the next two sections, Anuchetas 45 and 46. Two other lists of similar characteristics mentioned in the Bhagavatam are examined separately. If we remember back to the beginning of this section on the jiva that we started a few weeks ago, uh, Jiva Goswami used as his evidence regarding the intrinsic qualities of the jiva he used for his main pramana and for his whole presentation of those 21 characteristics he relied upon an explanation that didn't come directly from the Bhagavatam itself it was a statement made by Jamatri Muni and I believe that was statement was made in relationship to someone something that was presented in the Padma Purana. Uh, we could look back to confirm that. But so that was in Anucheta 19. That sounds right. He adds four qualities. Right. It was the Padma Purana, was it not? Pipalayana, yes. Uh, I don't see it right here. I'm pretty sure that's what we're speaking of, that the first verse of this whole thing on the jiva and Jamatri Muni's explanation, uh, his using that was a commentary on, on something that wasn't directly the Bhagavatam. So now... He's going to conclude the section, this whole section on the jiva, with two anuchetas drawing directly from what's said in the Bhagavatam and show that these characteristics are also relayed in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Remembering that his primary presentation of the whole Sandarbhas is, well, it's the the Bhagavat Sandarbha, meaning a Sandarbha on the Srimad Bhagavatam. So all the different sections, he treats the verses of the Bhagavatam as sutras, and then he supports the statements of the Bhagavatam. So now we're coming to an end of the discussion of the Jiva, and he's going to go back and say, everything we discussed here is also fully supported in the Bhagavatam, which is the primary praman or evidence for any scriptural knowledge. Why? Because it's a mature commentary on the Vedanta Sutra by the author himself, Srila Vyasadeva, which he arrived at after entering into trance and seeing the appropriate conclusion to knowledge that rendered the highest benefit to human society. So that was the whole purpose of his entering into trance was he was discontent. He didn't feel he'd done everything he could even though he presented in writing the four Vedas, he presented the Mahabharata, he's presented the uh, 
the Vedanta Sutra. He presented all the Puranas and all the other Itihashas. So he'd, he'd presented everything and he didn't feel complete. So that sense of incompleteness he presented to his spiritual master. I don't know if I did did a complete job here. I didn't know if, you know, and Narada said, well, yeah, why don't you think about it for a while? And he went into samadhi, and in samadhi, he saw Krishna directly. He directly experienced the Supreme Lord in that samadhi. He saw the Lord's, all the Lord's potencies, and specifically he saw the external potency, and he saw that the that Maya was standing behind the Lord. That wouldn't Maya wouldn't even present herself in front of the Lord. And he also saw the dilemmas of the jivas of human society, that they were they were deluded by the Lord's extrinsic extrinsic potency. So therefore he went back and he represented, he presented again, he rewrote the Bhagavat Purana, Srimad Bhagavatam. So this is the this is the primary evidence that we accept as Gaudiya Vaishnavas for spiritual knowledge. You're you're gonna if you take and look closely to the Srimad Bhagavatam you will find answers to everything. We need all the help we can get, so therefore we also rely on other books. But if you look to all the books of our Gaudiya Acharyas, they point to the Bhagavatam. They're simply expounding what's in the Bhagavatam and presenting it to us so we can, like Jiva Goswami Sandarbhas, what are they telling us? They're basically giving us all these different understandings of tattva, of the significance of the Bhagavatam, of the significance of Sambandha Gyan, Abhideya, and Prayojan. Yes? I was thinking that the main reason why Vyasadeva wrote the, the commentary of Bhagavatam was because of the instruction of Narada Muni that because he didn't feel satisfied after writing, you know, he, di- he divided four Vedas, yep. like in Srimad Bhagavatam is described, that he divided four Vedas and gave each Veda to different uh, sage, you know, mm-hmm. the Rishi uh, and, and, uh, and Mahabharata, and he still felt disconnected. Right. And, and Narada Muni came and told him to write Srimad Bhagavatam. So the the vision you described, I remember reading about this also. The, the you know the vision that Maya Devi was behind the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, where this goes, like the the time frame. I mean, I'm missing something there. Basically, Narda said yes. Narda told him you're you're feeling incomplete, and therefore you need to you need to reassess reassess what what the situation is. Why are you feeling incomplete? So the main point that Jiva, make, Jiva Goswami makes in the Tattva Sandarbha is the fact that what makes the Bhagavat Purana so significant is the revelation of both the author and the speaker. They had spiritual... So... They realize the Supreme. So what's stressed from all that discussion, from where you're discussing, there's a section of the Bhagavatam where the experience is there. That Jiva was, I mean, uh, Srila Vyasadeva was feeling incomplete in his service to humanity, and therefore he inquired from his spiritual master. And Yes, his spiritual master gave him an instruction, but the significance of the instruction is, well, was the fact that he may have said directly, you need to, you need to rewrite the Bhagavatam, but in order to accomplish that, 
he'd already written the Srimad Bhagavatam. He'd already written the Bhagavat Purana. But he hadn't presented fully the concept in that writing of, of Krishna, yes. That Krishna is the ultimate objective. Everything that he'd written, the primary objectives to be attained in everything that he presented was artha, dharma, kama, moksha. That was what was there, even from his first writing of the Bhagavatam. So he was feeling incomplete, and really Narada's instruction was more to the nature of you feel incomplete because you haven't given them the highest conception. And the highest conception is love for the Supreme Lord. So he took that to heart and just like Brahma at the beginning of the creation, he entered into also a samadhi and he saw the Supreme Lord. And then he could understand, yes, this is what I need to give to suffering humanity. A means by which they can have this kind of a revelation that I've had where they can directly experience the Lord and in his personal form. Does that make sense? So this is the point that Jiva stresses, is the fact that the revelation, the fact that this is not based on, it's not just an academic study, that the point, the whole point of the Bhagavat Purana, which is the, the culmination of his mature mature under spiritual understanding arrived at through revelation is what needs to be passed on for the betterment of human society. And even so far as even in presenting the Bhagavatam like Sukadev did, is his heart was in complete harmony with the revelation of Srila Vyasadeva, the author. So therefore, he could deliver the spotless Purana spotlessly. And naturally, they say that anybody who's, who, who sits on a Vyasa sign and speaks Bhagavatam should have the same heart as Srila Vyasadeva. That's the ideal. To have that same, the same level of realization really is the ideal for a Bhagavatam speaker that you would actually have no, your heart would be in harmony with the revelation of Srila Vyasadeva. So this point of revelation uh, is very significant uh, according to, you know, the way it's presented by Jiva Goswami. And he goes into, if we go back and study, we could go back and start the Tattva Siddharma again, go through those verses and go through that section of the Sandarbha and you can see how Jiva Goswami stresses this again and again. This revelation, it's all about spiritual experience. Otherwise, it's if you can't convey that to the reader, if the, if the, if the author can't convey it to the reader or the hearer, and if the speaker can't convey that to the audience, then then the whole point of the message is going is 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 not uh, not fully given. So if we if we come away from the Bhagavatam, and we even noted that note that in modern you know, I've heard some speakers, uh, contemporaries of mine, they'll speak. Well, really, the point of the Bhagavatam is is Varnashram Dharma. Well, I'm sorry. It's not Varnashram Dharma. Well, really the point of the Bhagavatam is... So we have to be in harmony with the author and we have to rely on the, on the commentaries of the founding Acharyas and we have to come to the conclusion of the Sampradaya of, of what the significance of Bhagavatam is. Does that help any? 
So this this thing, I mean, that's what we want. We want to experience the supreme. We just don't want, you know, book knowledge. We want to we want to enter into, to, you know, a revelation of God, uh, somehow or other, sooner or later. So next class we'll go over these uh, two verses, two anuchedas, uh, wherein. These verses from the Bhagavatam are drawn uh, upon by Jiva Goswami and he shows the the same 21 characteristics, although he doesn't delineate them as, as in such a detailed way as he has in, in uh, 19 or tw- how many ever Anuchetas we've just studied uh, one by one. But he just, he'll go over in summary showing... What I've given you is not something that is not there in the Bhagavatam, but I've relied on this other commentary because it's a systematic way of presenting these things, and I want to use that system in my Paramatma Sandarbha. But there's, they are the the same exact characteristics are are found in the Bhagavatam. Then he'll conclude with one last Anocheta, uh, the 47th Anocheta. So we're like halfway through this Paramatma Sandarbha. If we can complete that, uh, the two additional characteristics of the Jiva. And those, uh, that additional characteristic is that there are two types of Jivas. So you can imagine that there's two types. We know that. We're the, we're the ones that are conditioned and they're the ones that aren't conditioned. Uh, so, that last Anocheta is, is pretty extensive. It's, uh, the Anocheta itself is, is 10 pages and then there's commentary upon that. So, uh, but basically, then that will finish up this section of the Paramatma Sandarbha. Um, the, so, the two jivas, just to look ahead, one consists of those whose consciousness is turned towards Bhagavan without beginning. The other consists of those whose consciousness is turned away from Bhagavan with no beginning. This division is according to whether or not they are intrinsically endowed with experiential awareness or direct knowing of Bhagavan. Thank you so much for your association.